Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. It's game week! It's game week! We finally made it. We are, uh, as we are recording, we are three days away. It's more like two days away by the time you're going to be listening to this. Missouri football fighting Tigers are going to be kicking off against Central Michigan Chippewas on Saturday, September 4th. We've had college football on the TV. It officially starts tomorrow. BK, you're excited. How are you doing, man? Dude, I am so excited. Um, I watched Nebraska get its ass kicked for all intents and purposes against Illinois. I don't care if the game was close. They got their butts kicked because that's what it feels like every time Nebraska loses a game, and especially when they lose a game against a rebuilding program like Illinois. So that was very enjoyable last weekend. And now I get to watch the Tigers this weekend, man. What more could I ask for? It's going to be a lot of fun. I will be on my bachelor party in Memphis as the game is taking place on Saturday afternoon. And I cannot wait to celebrate a nice victory against the chips <laughs> when the Tigers win Saturday night. Uh, it's going to be great, man. I, I cannot wait to see what Eli Drinkwitz has been building all offseason because as much as last year was technically year one of him in the program, we know like that that wasn't truly his team in every sense of the word. The offense was really kind of retrofitted to what the previous regime was doing. Mm -hmm. They didn't have enough time. They didn't have the uh, the capability to truly install their offense. And defensively, that wasn't his scheme. That's not what he necessarily wanted to do. It was Ryan Walter's defense. Now he has his guy in charge of the defense. So for a million different reasons, I'm pumped. We've been waiting so long to get here, and now we're finally here. You are going to be drinking some drinks on Beale Street. I will be hanging out with my son in the basement, uh, drinking a Bud Light and watching the game. So uh, different different worlds, same goal. Uh, clear eyes, full heart, don't lose to the Chippewas. Can't lose. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, God, just as a, as, a, as a side, let's derail the show before we even really get into it. I don't think... 
anything's going to save Nebraska outside of a transcendent head football coach. There's no natural recruiting advantages. They're not a national brand. They're stuck in the Big Ten. Like, Nebraska's never going to be Nebraska again unless they get a Matt Campbell type to come in there and just rain blood out of stone like like uh, Campbell did at Iowa State. Agree? I think I do agree. Um, and you know what I kind of like about the way that college football is going? And this is totally unfair of me to say, but I kind of enjoy the fact that the programs that were good just because they had always been good, like th- there was no real reason why Nebraska was good. They just always were pretty good. <laughs> and so they stayed pretty good. Um, they, they don't, as you said, have a natural recruiting footprint, but they had one of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport. And that's really all that mattered. Um, and so now when you look at what they are as a program, this is probably what Nebraska should be. And I kind of enjoy that. I, I enjoy the fact that after they beat up on so many teams, including our beloved Tigers for so many years, now they've got to deal with what it's like to go through a little bit of a rebuild and not just a little bit of a rebuild. This team's been flat out bad for about five years now, mm-hmm. and they've been middling to bad really for closer to a decade since the towards the end of the Bo Pelini era. That's fun. I, I enjoy that as a Missouri fan. And I know that's unfair of me to say, but I don't really care. Sports hate's a good thing, and we could use a little bit more of it in our society. And I, I very much sports hate Nebraska. They fired Frank Solich for going nine and three. Mm-hmm. Nine and three. And they got frustrated with Bo Pelini because he would go nine and three every year. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the Cornhuskers have against the number three in the L column, but they should probably get used to it because Frank Solich and Bo Pelini were your last good coaches, at least the ones that made them relevant. Bill Callahan mm-hmm. was a terrible hire, but Bo Pelini was a good one. And every hire you made after that was terrible. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's not going to happen. You got to find someone who can do more with less. Um, yeah. They need to find their, find their drink. They got to that, find that's their, their only wits, way yeah. forward. They got to find their drink wits um, that, that otherwise they're not going to be able to be what they once were. They probably never will be what they once were, but they're not going to be relevant until they find their version of drink wits. And you know, Gabe Diarman had a really interesting interview with uh, Desiree Reed Francois on uh, a couple of days ago. And he brought up the the financial situation and I, and I, you know, she gave the right answer, but I thought it was a good answer. You know, she said, look, here's, do we want to be a $200 million athletic department? Like, of course we do. Do we expect to be that? No. And until we are, we're going to be fiscally responsible. We're going to be creative. I think she called it entrepreneurial spirit um, and make, make do with what we have. Uh, she, she compared, she compared Mizzou to Janis Joplin. Uh, instead, <laughs> instead of being a, 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 a cover band of a more popular, uh, music outfit, she wants to be an original. And, and I like that. I, I think that's something that, you know, Mizzou can really thrive in, in the, on the margins there by again, kind of what we've talked about, just having an identity, having a hell of a promoter and, and drink with, and having that reflected in the athletic department be a little quirky, be a little unique, and not try and go blow to blow with Alabama and Georgia and Florida and Auburn and all that stuff, but be kind of the scrappy underdog mentality, but provide a very similar experience and a very similar product, kind of like a, a discount bin product that's maybe a little bit indie, maybe doesn't have as many gold records as the other bands, but is still really freaking good and can still deliver from time to time. 
Yeah, and, and there, there's a reason why that's a those bands are typically fan favorites, right? Or cult classics. Like they they have a vast following among a select group of people and that's mizzou fans right like we, we are not the biggest fan base in the world but we are very vocal in our support of our team um and we also need a little bit of a kick in the pants sometimes to go out there and, and support our team and i did love speaking of interviews eli drinkwitz the other day he was asked you know what what do you want to see on yeah. saturday it's the first time since eli drinkwitz has been the head coach at mizzou in which he's actually going to be able to have a full capacity crowd. And he essentially came out and said, and I appreciated this, you know, we've done what we can do. The coaching staff, the administration, everybody involved in the program. And now it's time for the fans to do their part. Yep. Like we have, we have recruited at an incredibly high level. We have brought in the type of talent that you guys said that you wanted to see. We had a successful first year on campus. We went five and five against a schedule that nobody would have predicted them to go five and five against. They beat LSU the year after LSU won the national championship. And I really don't care what the rest of the season went like for LSU. That was a massive victory for Mizzou in that moment. All of those things are fair and great points by Eli Drinkwitz. And he's right. It's time for the Mizzou fans to do their part. And I'm not fan shaming or anything like that. You can spend your money in whatever way you'd like to. But if we want Mizzou to be a program that is on the level with teams like Auburn and like that second tier in the SEC. Ole Miss. Yeah, like you, you, you've got you've to support the program mm -hmm. like the fans of those programs in the second tier in the SEC. And for the last few years, that has not been the case for a million different reasons, and it needs to start happening. So if Mizzou's able to get a win on Saturday against Central Michigan, I think that'll go a long way in helping it. And if they beat uh, Kentucky the following week, that's really how I think fans get back on yeah. board, and you'll start seeing some bigger fans in the stands uh, as we move forward yeah. here. Yeah. I, I know... I, I have certainly taken heat. I know other members of Rockham have gotten some blow blowback on Twitter uh, from from people, from from fans of the team, from other outlets that cover the team. Um, when we say that the fans need to do their part and show up, and you know we're accused of fan shaming, like you said, and then Eli Drinkwitz comes out and no one says a peep. He basically says the same thing: we need to see butts and seats. That's what we've been calling for all off season. Once we were opened up and we knew that Faroe could be filled to capacity, we said, that's what we have to do. That's what we weren't doing on the past four years. Okay. I know the product wasn't good, but yeah, guess what? Four win Ole Miss teams still fill the stadium. Okay. Right. Auburn in their down years still fills the stadium and you can come up with any excuse you want and they're all valid. But we, we as a program, as a fan base need to find a way to get people in that stadium. And that's not fan shame. That's just, that's just how it is. I went to the Mizzou-Tennessee game back in 2012. Uh, that was the double overtime yep. game yep. Uh, with DGB at the end. First of all, incredible game to be at. And second of all, the, the stadium was full. And that was right before they eventually fired Derek Dooley. Um, and so that that's just, to your point, those types of programs, even at their, their lowest of the lows. And at that point, uh, Tennessee had gone four straight years of losing seasons. It was pretty low. It was pretty low. They, they were not in a good place as a football program. So that zoo needs to get to. And you don't have to be 100,000 like Tennessee. That's not no. possible at no. their stadium. But 
if you can get regularly to 55 to 60 in these types mm-hmm. of games against Central Michigan and then against SEMO, same thing, that that's where you probably want to be. Absolutely. And, he, and you know, Drinkwitz pointed out, he's like, look, it's not just fans that go to these games. Like, recruits come to these games. Mm-hmm. They come to Central Michigan and North Texas and Vanderbilt, right? Like, they, they come to those games, too. And so it's important if you want these guys to come to to your school, come to your team, you need to show that we can be there and be just a great environment to to go and play your your college ball for these guys. So it, it's, it is important. And again, it's not a shaming thing. It's just, this is how it is. And if it's not you, we got to find someone else to get in there. And that's, that's basically what we're talking about. And of course, speaking of recruits, I mean, God, the, the most important recruit, uh, on, on the mouths of every single Mizzou fan right now, the one who hasn't even committed yet, Luther Burden. He had himself a hell of a game huh. last week against CBC. Uh, East St. Louis Flyers played the CBC Cadets, and uh, it, it was a barn burner, man. It was like 48-45 or something like that. Um, CBC is 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 probably, well, it is the best team in the state of Missouri. Uh, East St. Louis is always a perennial uh, champion in Illinois. And uh, what did you say Luther Burden had? Five touches, is that right? Yeah, so at one point in the game, he had touched the ball five times and he had scored on four of them. Well, okay. That, that'll that do, pig. That'll do. That included an 85-yard punt return touchdown and a kick return touchdown as well that I believe was called back, from what I understand, mm-hmm. for a holding or something. So that didn't technically count. But yeah, he was, he was everything he had been advertised to be at that sum. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, there, we were maybe thinking that he might recruit or uh, commit soon. Uh, kind of depends on where you read and what, what you, what you believe, but sounds like he is going to take the season, play the season, take his official visits, which, you know, we are team take your official visit, um, regardless of the outcome. Uh, so I, it sounds like this is going to be uh, a fight to at least the end of the calendar year, whether he wants to enroll early or not. Kind of up to him. If he decides to enroll early, he will obviously commit in December. If he decides not to, he'll be a February commit. But um, it looks like this is going to go on through the fall. I know a lot of people have said that the longer this recruitment goes, the worse the chances for Mizzou. Whatever, man. Whatever. Drinkwitz has gotten him this far. He's gotten him to decommit from Oklahoma. We are apparently in the running for one for the best receiver in the country. Uh, used to be the best player in Missouri. Now the current best player at Illinois. Like, trust trust Drinkwitz in this staff okay just just have faith and and we'll see where it ends up but it's it's incredible what he's done so far with that recruit the other thing that i love about it man is like so there are different styles of top recruits there are some that are all projection and it's it's essentially this guy is 6'5 he's 220 pounds he runs a 4'4 and we think he's going to figure this football thing out that would be doriel green beckham uh, it, he, he was an athlete who happened to play football and he was exceptionally talented and nobody knew what his future held. But if he put it all together, he could be an all time talent. That is not seemingly Luther Burden. Luther Burden seems to be more of like the six foot ish wide receiver who is incredibly skilled and talented. Don't get me wrong. This is not to take away from the talent that he possesses. He's just not at the same level, like in terms of the size, speed, athleticism that Doriel Green Beckham was. Very few are. He's more polished 
at this age mm-hmm. than Doriel Green Beckham was. He's a guy that Burden is who seemingly wins by running crisp routes and beating cornerbacks by stacking them up in the right way and winning over the top or winning on timing routes and then yards after catch. If you're looking for a comp in terms of just the way that he wins, I'm not saying he will be this player. I have no idea what he's going to be in college, but the way that he wins, it seems more similar to a guy like Jeremy Macklin than it does Doriel Greenbackham. Mm-hmm. So that that to me is exciting because I think those guys are typically a little more successful at the collegiate level than the ones that win the way that Doriel Greenbackham does. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I I mean, even think of last year's Heisman winner. Yeah. <laughs> not not an imposing force, not someone who just was bigger, taller, stronger, faster, but like very was a technician on the route running, had tremendous hands, could create separation, and oh yeah, would absolutely burn you with the ball on his well, hand. Think about like, all of the the Alabama receivers. You've had a lot mm-hmm. of them that were really hyped and we ended up going very high in the NFL draft. I'm thinking Henry Ruggs. Mm-hmm. Um you look back. This year, Jalen Waddle is a little different, but he had the athleticism as well. It's guys like Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith, though, who were the most productive at Alabama. Some of the other guys got more hype going into the NFL draft because of the athleticism, but those were the guys that were the most productive. Yeah. And what do you want in your college receiver? You want production, man. Mm-hmm. Like, So that that's what I'm looking for. And production is going to take you a long way in the NFL, too. So. Um, yeah, good, good luck to Luther Burden and East St. Louis this year. I uh, hope they do well. Hope, hope CBC continues to do well. And all the Missouri high school football players out there rocking and rolling, having a great season, having a little bit more of a normal season than last year. I hope you all enjoy it. Um, but we are, again, we are in game week. This is week one of the 2021 season for Missouri. We've got Missouri stuff to talk about. And I wanted to kick it off. With the with the downer stuff, we're going to talk about injuries to kick this thing off. Uh, I believe maybe the day after we recorded, it came out that uh, Kai Montgomery uh, is is lost for the season. the The four star defensive end out of Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, f- didn't figure to be a starter by any means, but certainly anticipated to be a rotational player on the defensive line. I believe he tore his ACL and also like put a dent in his femur or something terrible, awful like that. Um, so he is, he is not going to be playing this year. He will take a medical red shirt for 2021. He will be joined by his fellow defensive end, Jonathan Jones also lost for the season uh, with a leg injury. Uh, Jay Macklin it sounded like uh, during Drinkwitz's uh, press conference yesterday on Tuesday uh, is for sure going to miss the central Michigan game. Remember he is out with a forearm injury. Uh, and then Mookie Cooper, he's either going to be doubtful or probable is what it sounds like uh, when the injury report comes out on Thursday uh, or today when you are listening to this. So not great, but it's never great to lose players like this. But these are all younger guys who were, you know, Mookie Cooper aside, weren't expected to contribute immediately or be logging massive starter minutes. Um, but it certainly hurts depth. So if you got to escape fall camp with injuries like this, well, you got to escape with injuries. It's always going to happen. But these in particular, 
I don't know, BK. They seem kind of manageable. Yeah, all things considered. And like you said, you never want to have any, but it's the the reality of playing football. You're going to see some of them. Kyron Montgomery is the one that hurts. I think he was potentially going to be able to see the fields as a freshman, and I was excited to see what he could do as a freshman. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see, whether it's this week or next, I think we'll see him this week, Mookie Cooper. I think we'll, even if we do see him, though. You think we're going to see him this week? I, I, I want to believe that we will. Okay. I'm just not sure, man. It, they shouldn't need him to beat Central Michigan. So exactly. from that perspective, I could totally see them keeping him on ice and maybe dressing him out. He's available technically mm-hmm. if they needed him. And they mm-hmm. just say, hey, we're, we're hopeful that we don't need to, to put you out there. And it's possible you just see him for two, three, four plays. And every time he's out there, he touches the football, something like that. Right. So. Mm-hmm. I hope we get to see him. Even if we don't, though, I'm excited to see him next week against Kentucky. But that's really the the injury that you've talked about that impacts them in a significant way right now is Mookie Cooper because he could legitimately go out there tomorrow and be their starting slot receiver. So if you're looking for one that's legitimately impactful, it's Mookie Cooper. But the one that I think is really a bummer, it's Kyron Montgomery, the uh, defensive end out of Indiana. Yeah, I mean, we... we... Drinkwitz went to the trouble to recruit these awesome guys. You'd like to see them see yeah. the field. Um, and sure, yeah, it sucks for, for Kai in particular. Because I, I do think, you know, he he probably would have worked his way into um, significant snaps as the year went on. I mean, injuries happen during the season, too. Um, and there's, you know, there's a good chance that either by talent or by circumstance, he would have found himself out there, which would be great. Um, so, yeah, that, that sucks in the long run. With Mookie Cooper... I am with you. Like we, we have talked about how, how much he changes this offense at the same time. And this kind of goes back to the Luther burden thing. One receiver is one receiver, <laughs> one receiver in a room of seven receivers. Now, granted, he is probably the best and he is the, probably the most dynamic, but in any given game, he's not going to have more than 10 touches. And by all means, it sounds like chance looper had himself a hell of a camp. It sounds like Dominic Levitt had himself a hell of a camp. They are both listed as or starters for game one. So if you have to have Mookie Cooper injured, you also want to have at least enough depth or at least enough talent that you can mitigate that a little bit. And if Chance Looper is as advertised, I'm not saying he's Mookie Cooper, but it sounds like he is going to provide pretty good presence out of the slot. And again, it's central Michigan. It's going to be a tough game, but you shouldn't need to show your whole hand mm-hmm. uh, in a game like this to win. So yes, I, I am with you. I think he is dressed. I think they cut to him on the sideline several times, uh, whether he's on the field or not. I don't know, but it's certainly not going to be significant playing time. And if, if it were me, I would just keep him on the sideline until Kentucky and just make sure because it is a foot injury or an ankle injury, Uh, make sure that he is ready to go for Kentucky. Yeah, I think that's probably the smart way to handle it. And that means that you're going to see a pretty hefty amount of guys like Chance Looper and Barrett Bannister in the slot in this game. And Mm -hmm. I think that's fine. If Barrett Bannister needs to go out there and catch five passes for 45 yards, he can do that. Like That's that's perfectly fine. It's not going to be the same type of explosive element that Mookie Cooper brings to the slot. And I think that's something that I'm most interested in seeing from this offense is what they can get from that kind of an element. So it is a bummer Mm -hmm. from that perspective of just not being able to find out one of the single biggest things, big picture wise of finding out what that looks like in this offense when it's at full uh, peak performance. 
But we might not have seen that anyways because of Central Michigan and they might have held stuff back. So I don't know just how significant of a loss it is. If they get if it's close late, then that's when it'll be significant. But otherwise, yes. and it shouldn't be. Otherwise, I don't know how much of a of a difference maker it's going to be. You want to dive into this uh, this depth chart that we got earlier this week? Because I found there to be I do. some particularly interesting spots on this. Let me let me hear what you think is interesting. So let's start out at um, let, let's start at running back where it is exclusively Tyler Beatty and Elijah Young that are listed. Mm-hmm. Found that to be interesting. I think you're going to see more than just those two. I wonder who it's going to be, though, because I thought it was going to be Taj Butts out of the freshman running backs that was most likely to see the field early in the season. I don't know that he's even had his number yet added to his jersey at practice, which is semi-alarming. From reports, no. His name has not been brought up at all in any practice report ever. It's, It's rather surprising to me because his high school film is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he was doing it against class one competition. He was at DeSmet, if I'm not mistaken. So he was mm-hmm. he was going up against the big boys. So that's a little surprising yeah. to me. But it's BJ Harris from Tennessee, who's really shown mm-hmm. out apparently in camp. So I think you might see a little bit of him against Central Michigan. And that's intriguing to me. So if you're looking at quarterback, we kind of knew how that was going to shake out. It's Connor Bazelak as your starter. And then you've got Brady Cook or Tyler Macon. One of those two is going to be your backup. I would guess Brady Cook because Tyler Macon didn't force them to give him the backup job. We'll probably get that role for now. But it's the running back number three that is most interesting to me at this moment in the backfield. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, one of the more interesting things for me was the offensive line depth. Mm-hmm. Um, not only the number of oars, which was seemingly all of them. Um, but who was occupying those second slots? Um, Connor Tollison, the baby freshman from Jackson, Missouri, is now our backup center. Connor Wood, the the right tackle from Montana State, who was battling it with Hiron White. Oh, by the way, he's also the backup left guard. Like, what? <laughs> okay. So, I mean, we knew he was cross-training, but the fact that he was able to surpass Luke Griffin, freaking Luke Griffin, um, and backing up Xavier Delgado at the left guard spot, it, it was very intriguing to me. Um, props to Javon Foster. Apparently, he he really balled out in camp, and he's really shown a lot of improvement. I am curious, like, even Eli Drinkwitz pointed out to this when he was talking about Hiron White versus Connor Wood. You know, he pointed out that Hiron White did not play last year, and he's going to be going up against Troy Harrison, who, you know, we'll talk about a little bit later this in the show. Troy Harrison was an all-MAC defensive player of the year, former walk-on, and just tore it up in the Mac. And Hiram White's going to come back after almost two calendar years of not playing football, going up against a pretty good edge rusher. Um, so Eli Drinkwitz, the, I'm not trying to say that he thinks that Hiram White's not good. He just pointed out that White's a little bit rusty, and you know so is Connor Wood because he didn't play last year either. But it sounds like that one, that position is probably still up for grabs, but. Sounds like Connor Wood's going to find his way onto the field in a couple different positions, and he's he's passing up uh, your boy Luke Griffin, which I thought was surprising. I wouldn't be surprised to get, see him get some snaps at left tackle as well. After hearing Eli Drinkwitz earlier this week talk about it, he, he seemed to indicate, and maybe I heard him wrong, but he seemed to indicate that uh, Foster, Powell, and maybe even Connor Wood are at least eligible to play at that left tackle spot, or they're intriguing options there so 
Mm-hmm. I think this is less settled than I expected it to be coming out yeah. of camp. We knew that Michael Maietti was going to start. We knew Case Cook was going to start. It was a matter of, okay, who's going to start around them? I feel like I have even less certainty about that today than I did a month and a half ago, <laughs> yeah. which is wild to think about, but it's true. I also would say, if you're asking me talent-wise where this offensive line is compared to where it was two, three years ago, I feel a little better about it. Like I, I think they've got some legitimate options on the table right now. I mean, we've seen what it looks like when Case Cook starts, when Michael Maietti starts, when Xavier Delgado starts, and Javon Foster, or excuse me, yeah, um, Zeke Powell, excuse me, starts from a, a year mm-hmm. ago. We've seen those four together, and it was fine. I wouldn't say it was good, but it was fine. You can you can make it through a season and be reasonably solid offensively with those guys on your starting offensive line. It's really a matter of can you upgrade from them? And I think that's what Eli Drinkwitz is trying to find out is what are the upgrades available to me? How do I make it better than what it was a year ago? And he seems to be giving these guys every opportunity to win the job if they can outperform the guy that was the incumbent at their position. It sounds like he's giving Connor Wood every opportunity mm-hmm. to get on the field. So it sounds like uh, either Drinkwitz or Marcus John, or, or you know what, both of them really like him, but can't find a way to get him on the field. So it's like, well, you're just gonna back up everybody because we really want to see you out there. Um, so who knows? It's a very long season. Injuries happen both, you know, just end game where someone's got misses the rest of the series or misses the rest of the game for a couple of weeks. So, you know, you, you talked about is, is the, is the talent is, is the athleticism better than it was two years. I want to say, yes, I just feel like this offensive line is very deep and not very wide. In so much as like, yeah, the second guy is just as good as the first, but we're not sure the first guy is exactly the guy we want out there. That's fair. <laughs> um, which, you know, it depends on how you view it. If you could view that as a good thing or a bad thing, I'll let you come to your own conclusions. But if you have a lot of options, that's good. You also want some of those options to be good enough to lock down the spot and, you know, perform consistently. So, um, you know, this year is not a year where we're going to be running, making a run for the SEC or the national title or anything. So maybe it's a lot of just figuring out what we have long-term, in which case, if you see some younger guys breaking in, like a Mitchell Waters, like a Bobby Lawrence, uh, seeing EJ and Noma Ogar out there, hell, if Connor Tallson takes a couple snaps at center, that is a good thing. We're trying to figure out what's out there. Uh, in the immediate term, it might not be great for offensive line cohesion, but it, it every interview uh, snippet that I've heard of Drinkwitz talking about the offensive line. He talks about gelling. He talks about execution and finding the right five guys. And when people ask directly, have you found him? He kind of dances away from it. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how many uh, mixing and matching we, we do against Central Michigan. Uh, and when push comes to shove, which I think it will kind of in the second half, which five do they ride or die with? Because I think that's going to tell you a lot. Yeah, the other thing that I love about it is they're they're willing to just look for the best five. And if that means a guy plays, quote unquote, out of position, but he's the best player for that spot, that's all right. Just get him and get the best five out there and figure it out from there. And that is that is the mentality that the best offensive line coaches in the country have. And Marcus Johnson clearly has it. And I appreciate that about him and about Eli Drinkins being willing to move some things around if that's what it takes to be able to get the best five out there on the defensive side of the ball. I'm guessing we both had the same reaction. So cornerback is interesting. 
not only from who's starting, but how many were trotting out there and who's slotted where. It was very interesting read. Chris Abrams Strain is starting a nickel now. Look at you, man. Look at you. Good, good for Chris. That's awesome. Um, Caleb Evans is not a guaranteed starter. Eh, he's an or starter. Allie Green is backing up in his Rake I'm okay. Are you concerned? No. Surprised. Concerned, yeah. no, because I think by the end of the season, you will see Rakestraw, Green, whatever the depth chart says. In most nickel situations where you have the three corners <laughs> on the field, I think you will see Evans, Rakestraw, and Green. I don't know who yes. will be in the slot and who will be outside in those specific situations. My guess would be Green ends up in the slot. I think Rakestraw profiles best there, but maybe they kick Green inside because Rakestraw wants to be outside. I'm not sure, but I think those will be the three that they end up with. I am a little bit surprised that they didn't end up there now. Uh, it's game one and they're all or starters, but it's a new regime. And that's why I'm surprised. It is because if this was Ryan Walters and the same defensive backs coaches as you had a year ago, okay, that makes sense. But you have new defensive backs coaches and a new defensive coordinator who have no sort of loyalty to Ish Burdeen or Chris Abrams drain, certainly as he's moving over from the uh, offensive side of the ball. So that's why it surprised me again. Like I said, I'm with you. I am absolutely not concerned. I think by week two, three, definitely by week four, you're going to see Evans, Rakestraw and Green get the vast majority of the snaps. So it doesn't much matter in the grand scheme of things. I am just legitimately yeah. surprised that they didn't win those jobs outright coming out of camp. We we can play the guessing game all day on as to why this is what it is. You know, depth charts. You know, Drinkwood says that he doesn't make them; the players make them. <laughs> okay, yeah, gotcha. Hmm. I I, th I do think there is. Well, I know that there is some subterfuge in depth charts that are released, and I know that there are coaches out there who will slot guys, you know, as one or two or, or starters or whatever, when they have no intention of that happening at all. And, you know, we've got, we got coach Fletcher. He, he coached Allie green and a Caleb Evans mm -hmm. last three years at Tulsa. I get a I get a strong feeling based off of nothing at all, but I get a strong feeling that he sat there in the, in the secondary room. And he's like, guys, y'all had a great camp. All of you had a tremendous camp. I, I want to get all of you guys on the field. I'm not sure what order we're going to do this or how we're going to do it yet. I'm placing Enos and Ish uh, as or starters now. Um, you're all rotating in against Central Michigan. We haven't decided yet, but this is what we're putting out. I, I It doesn't take you know a ton of mental gymnastics to figure that that scenario happened. It could just be Fletcher knows what he has in Evans and Green. He wants to see Raystraw and Burdine and, and live action because all he did was get watch them get roasted last year. Um, and he wants to see what they can do in year two. And if they're good to go, then he keeps trying out Ray Strong Burdine. If he if he doesn't think they can cut it, he knows he's got Green and Evans that can come off the bench and supply exactly what he's looking for, play the scheme they're looking for. Uh, but he's trying to get the younger guys involved, get some experience, and get them to the level that Green and Evans are and save those two for when the bullets really start flying in conference play. And, and it makes sense. I, I get all of that entirely. Again, just a little bit surprised. Um, yeah. and, and I will say this as well. For what it's worth, I did hear an interview. I believe it was with a Caleb Evans. It might have been with Green, but I think it was with Evans, if I'm not mistaken. 
Uh, and they they were asked, you know, about the idea of rotating through at cornerback, which you don't see a ton, but you see sometimes. And whichever one it was, it was one of the two transfers. They basically said, listen, the reason why we're going to do this, as it's been described to them, is because if you're going up against an offense, especially a, an up-tempo, spread, no-huddle type of an offense, those guys are running their receivers all the way down the field, 40, 50 yards, whatever, to run you off, right? And then that receiver runs off of the field, goes to the sideline, and they get a new guy ready to go in there that's fresh that didn't just run 40, 50 yards. The cornerback runs, again, back to the line of scrimmage, so now they've <laughs> run 100 yards. And then they get ready for the play, and they do the same thing over again. Second down, they go back, the receiver runs off, they get a new guy on, and you do it again. And now it's first and 10. And you continuously have this cycle, right, where the receiver is running you off and running you off and running you off, and the cornerback is exhausted by, like, the fourth or fifth play. And finally, they ask out of the game, or they get burned deep because now their legs are shot by the fourth or fifth play of doing this. And instead of doing that, Mizzou is just going to match it. Okay, your receiver's running off the field. We're going to do the same thing. Our corner's coming off, and we'll get a new guy on because we have a little bit of depth at the position, which they have not had in recent years. <laughs> so I do get that as well. The The idea of rotating these guys through a little bit more often makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just... Uh, I'm just curious, like, when we get to snap counts at the end of the game, I think it's going to be very, very even. Um I, I am I am just very impressed with Chris Abrams' reign. We've talked before about, you know, the transition from receiver to corner is not easy. <laughs> that is that is not a very similar skill set uh, to just drop and, and and be something different. So um, whether he he actually earned it or he's just the the first name on the on the starting nickel corner, uh, good for him. Chris Sheeran, who sat out last year for COVID, um, he is he is the backup. Uh, or the listed backup, I should say, for Nichols. So uh, good for both of those guys. Uh, we'll see what that actually shakes out being. But, um, yeah, I, the defensive side was very interesting. Um, you know, what, defensive line was pretty much figured out. Linebacker, you pretty much knew who it was. But um, corner was very interesting. And safety, too. You know, we I mentioned in the depth chart piece that, you know, Jalen Carley, he, he is going to be the starting uh, strong safety or free safety, excuse me, but he he committed a nasty uh, nasty little targeting against Mississippi State, so he's got to sit out the first half of the game. So uh, because that makes a lot of sense. This is so uh, stupid. God, college really football is. so dumb. Really is. So we'll we'll get a hefty dose of Jelani Williams, uh, seemingly, uh, for the first half of the Central Michigan game, and then Jalen will rejoin us uh, for the second half. I think you're going to see a lot um, of Sean Robinson as well out there. By the way, you'll say Sean Robinson's listed as the backup to Martez Manuel. I do think he's going to see his his uh, his face out there too. Can't wait. I, I love that. I love the quarterback turning into a safety. I I, I want him to. I want to see him hit some dudes. <laughs> I want to see him play some passes. Uh, and get to get some retribution on uh, on the offense since he uh, he experienced plenty of interceptions in his, in his career. Hopefully he can he can return the favor a little bit. Yeah. Um, any other death chart notes that really stood out to you? Um, I I don't think so. There were a few young guys that were on it that I, I liked seeing it. Are, are we going with Mecky or or Makai? Because I've now heard it both ways. Um, I heard earlier oh, today. Mecky. Yeah. Uh, Mecky or Makai Wingo. I've been saying Makai, but I like Mecky. That is that is fun. So that's what earlier today I heard. Um, 
I heard from Mike Kelly. He was on 101 ESPN, and he said Mechie Wingo. And I was like, oh, have I been mispronouncing his name all along? I feel terrible if I have been, but... Yeah. Wingo, the freshman defensive tackle, is listed on the two deep that at nose tackle. That was fun to see. It was expected. A lot of people had been talking about how great of a camp he had been having. Arden Walker is listed, the mm-hmm. defensive end out of Colorado, on the two deep at uh, defensive end as well. He's there with Chris Turner. I, I would not be stunned if he ends up if he if he shows out this year. He's got a real chance to see a decent amount of playing time. So those were two in particular on the defensive side of the football. You mentioned Connor Tolleson as well, uh, all on the two deep so far. And then we knew, based on camp reports, Dominic Lovett would be up there. He's he's going to yeah. be probably the most productive freshman player for Mizzou this year. I agree. I was surprised, and and, and we'll move on after this, but I, I was surprised that J.J. Hester was nowhere to be found. Now, I know you can't list everybody on here. That's not going to happen. Um, but I would have figured that he, you know, he would have at least, uh, had his name called or, or kind of been in the running to back up, uh, uh, Kiki Chisholm at the Z receiver Z receiver spot. Do you think and that's a said, senior thing for boo? Maybe. Well, he's only a junior. Well, he is a senior, but he's got another year of eligibility yeah. left, but yeah, boo Smith is also our backup, uh, punt returner or kick returner. So maybe that's a, maybe that's it. Um, but given, you know, JJ was incredibly prolific in high school. And I'm just like, I feel like that's the type of guy who, who needs to make this jump in the in-between before we, before Drinkwitz brings in all these talented receivers and the other ones kind of cycle out. It's like, this is your time to kind of establish yourself. I figured he would have uh, found himself somewhere on the death chart, don't you? I would have thought so. And I loved him coming out of college. I thought he was legitimately special as a talent. And I think sometimes we do forget he's a redshirt freshman. Like he has, he yeah. has not been here that long and yeah. it takes a while sometimes to adjust, especially at wide receiver. And that's what makes what we're seeing from a guy like Dominic Lovett so special, right? Like the, the idea of him coming in right away and contributing, not just in a meaningful way, but being one of their best receivers immediately, that is super unique. And it's, it's more typical for a guy like J.J. Hester to take two, three, maybe even sometimes four years before they really come in and contribute on a meaningful way. So it's still in play that he could be a good player at Mizzou. I'm not giving up hope on him by any stretch of the imagination, but I am a little bit surprised that he didn't even make the two deep. I will also caution, and we should probably have put this as a disclaimer at the very beginning. These things are typically made by the SID. It's not like the the college coach. So in this case, Eli Drinkwitz is going through and writing line by line on a piece of paper yeah. who's on who's where on the depth chart. These are typically based on what they see at camp and what their intuition is as to who's where. So it very well could be there's a specific package in which J.J. Hester will see the field. And we just don't see that reflected on the depth chart. Very true. Very true. Um. Oh, also, I want to see Messiah Swinson do something this week. I don't care what it is, uh, but he's had two targets in two games uh, in huh. his uh, three years on campus so far. Um, I know he, the, the Swinson in particular fell victim to the to the Odom hype train when he first was got on campus in 2018. But um, he is he is six eight two fifty one tight end, and he is listed as an or starter or sorry DPJ and, and Nico Hay are or starters. Messiah Swenson will be the first one off the bench, according to the depth chart. Yeah, we'll so I hope see. He, uh, My guy Ryan Horsecamp is coming. He's coming. I know. 
Can't hold back the horse. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and gosh, you know, we haven't even talked about the linebackers. Um, it's Blaze Aldridge and Devin Nicholson, but we all kind of figured that was going to happen. But kind of an interesting situation. We got a, a little midnight commitment uh, from a transfer from Wyoming. Those jerks that beat us in 2019. Um, Chuck Hicks, the outside linebacker from Wyoming, hit the transfer portal uh, early last week. And then like randomly at 11 o'clock on a Friday, he tweets out that he is committed to Mizzou. He is on campus taking classes and, and working out with the team. Um, so that was fast. Um, he is, uh, according to rivals anyway, he was a two-star outside linebacker uh, from San Diego, California. Class of 2018, he redshirted in 2018, did not, barely saw the field in 19. He was a special teams player in 2020. Uh, played 209 snaps in their shortened season last year, but uh, logged five defensive tackles, two tackles for loss, and two sacks in a run stuff. Uh, and then nabbed an interception as well. So he did pretty well in a very shortened season, but um, kind of out of nowhere. I know that linebacker depth isn't super great right now. You don't need a lot for a 4-2-5, but you need some. And with uh, a lot of defections over the year, it probably looks like you wanted another body in there somewhere, but it, he is too late to, to contribute in 21. Uh, so we won't see him until 22. What, what did you make of this, uh, uh <laughs> this acquiring of the, of the linebacker here? BK? A body. I, I, I yeah. mean, to be honest with you, that's kind of what I make of it. I think this is their replacement for a guy like Cameron Wilkins who decided to transfer kind of late in the process. I don't know what to expect from Chuck Hicks. I don't think he produced particularly highly at Wyoming, um, but some of that is maybe due to circumstance. I, I have no idea, man. It came out of nowhere. It did blindside me a bit as well. I I view this as a depth signing, and anything more than that, great, fantastic. Hopefully that ends up being exactly what they end up getting out of him, but... If I'm looking at this realistically speaking and not buying into the hype train and all of the things that go into that, I think it's probably a backup type of a role that you should expect out of him. Maybe special teams. He contributes in that way as well. And we'll, we'll see if he's able to do more than that. But for now, that's kind of where, where I'm at with him. I mean, apparently he's a he's an ace on special teams. You know, I said he had five tackles on the season. He had 26 total if you count special teams tackles. Um, but you know, you're starting off outside linebacker, even in five games, you probably have more than five tackles. <laughs> and if, if you're logging 21 tackles on special teams, then you're probably not, uh, not needed as much on the, on the defensive side of the ball. So yeah, I I'm kind of with you. It's, it's a, it's a body. It's someone to fill out the depth chart. If we need it, um, you know, Will Norris, Damian Wilson, Zach Lovett, uh, uh Jamie Petway, they're all very, very young, but blaze Aldridge has gone after this year and you need somebody else to kind of fill up, uh, fill up those spots. So yeah, I, I think you're, you're right here and you know, maybe he could blow us away. You never know. Uh, just change the scenery could be, could be good for him, but um, welcome Chuck kind of, kind of a out of nowhere acquisition here, but uh, we're glad to have you on campus and, and uh, we'll see you in 22, man. Good luck. But uh, yeah, so that is roster talk. Um, like I said, college football started last uh, last week with Nebraska and Illinois. Um, but really, the, the season officially starts tomorrow. Or if you're listening on Thursday, which you probably are, it starts today. Um, BK, you know what else starts today? 
What's that? Well, Nike's annual college football shoe collection drops. Uh, I don't know if you were familiar with the the Pegasus line. Have you heard of Pegasus? Of course. The the shoe? Yeah. Are you a sneakerhead? No, no uh, I wish I was. I would love to be, but I am not uh, in that kind of category when it comes to my monetary income. And therefore, uh, <laughs> drop in in general 130 bucks, like repeatedly, not into that. But, but I can do so uh, on a time to time basis. So tell me a little bit about these Pegasus 38s, my man. Well, so I, I'm not a huge shoe guy either. I'm, I'm, I'm washed old father so like I, I tend to go puma because those are nice um but i'll tell you i've seen the pegasus line before they always drop during the college football season and this year the pegasus 38 uh is out and our university of missouri fighting tigers are one of the schools that they selected for their custom edits um i'll tell you like again i'm, I'm kind of with you i don't spend a lot of money on shoes i think i have like five pairs in my closet each for very specific purposes and that's it um I'm like seriously considering buying these. You all should check them out. Uh, they look excellent. If you liked Coach Drinkwitz's footwear at SEC Media Days, this is very much in line with that. And they are, I think, the SEC coaches are going to be wearing them this season too. Um, it's a Nike shoe. You know Nike's quality. It's it's a black and gold shoe, gold on the heel, black on the front, and then a nice white trim on the bottom. It's got the Mizzou logo. It's got the Nike swoosh. They look really cool. Um, anyway, so we, I, I am buying them. The wife is buying them. We're getting USC shoes for her, Mizzou shoes for me. Um, we think that they're pretty good and we think they're good enough that, uh, on the website, on the flagship website, rockinnation.com, um, Sam posted it up, uh, Wednesday night. There's a post up with details on the edits where you can snag a pair. Uh, do check it out. Uh, I could give you the website. It's like a, it's a very specific link. It's kind of junky to talk about, but I'll just say, the post is on Rock M Nation. You can click there. You can save 20% on a $130 oh, shoe, yeah. which is a lot of money. Hell yeah. Uh, so it, it'll be a nice compliment to any game day activities that you have planned for. Or hell, you can do it like me. I'm just going to wear them to the grocery store. When I'm picking up the kids, like, check it out. Bam. Because uh, you know what? School pride doesn't take a day off, Paul. It don't take a day off. Let's be honest, though. The, the, so, the real way that Mizzou fans are going to be wearing these, they're going to be out of the parking lot. They're going to be in the parking garage, top level, playing a little cornhole. You got to have your Mizzou <laughs> shoes on. And then you, as yeah. you're walking into the stadium, you don't want to be wearing your old Chuck Taylors. You're going to be walking in with wow. these Pegasus 38s, and that's the way that you're able to rock these bad boys. That That's where you need to be yeah. wearing them. That's, that's when you need them more than they need you. <laughs> that's true. That's right. Look, we all want the swag that our nerdy little coach Drinkwitz has. <laughs> this is this is where you start. Use the link. It's on the website. Get yourself some new kicks. Put your best foot forward on game day with the best Mizzou footwear on the freaking planet, man. Let's do it. Um, all right. We are in game week. Central Michigan's on deck. BK, how many times have I been yelled at for saying that Central Michigan is going to be a close game? Um, 737 so far. Probably about close. to be 738. <laughs> Look, I, I, am, I am a descendant of a nervous monkey, right? That's how I got here. And this nervous monkey grew up watching Mizzou football. So I understand that there's a lot of <clears throat> built-in issues that I need huh. to work my way through. Uh, when I look at Mizzou football games. Um, but really, 
the 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 thing that I'm seeing here is that we've got, you know, our upperclassmen, we're all Odom guys. All the talent is super young guys. This is what we've talked about before. There's a lot of new faces, a lot of new schemes, both on offense where we're finally get to see the full Drinkwitz book and on defense where Steve Wilkes is going to call things other than single high co- man, man coverage. Um, and he's a defensive savant, but how does he communicate that? How does he call, you know, a game? Like there's a lot of newness to this team. And to start this season, you're going to be playing a team that has won their division in the past two years returns almost every starter from last year and they don't always win games, but they play it really close and they absolutely can take down the big boys. So it's, it's a butthole clinching game and you don't want those for the first game of the season. I think Missouri's going to win. Don't get me wrong, but like you understand my hesitation, right? Of course. Um, it, it, it makes all the sense in the world. That being said, Mizzou should win this game. I mean, yes, you, you go into it and it should be the type of game where for the first half, you're like, God, I feel like Mizzou's winning and they're playing really well. But why is it 14 to six? It, it, it doesn't make <laughs> sense like that. that that's yeah. what this game has written all over it. And it's going to be frustrating at times. And you're probably going to be like, man, all offseason, all I heard was about how awesome Mizzou was. And now they're struggling a little bit against Central Michigan. That doesn't really check out. Well, some people, specifically uh, Nate, was trying to tell you that this team would have its moments this year. It didn't look as pretty as you expect it to. And that's probably going to happen at some point on Saturday. There may be a time. They might go down 6 nothing early. It's totally in play that that happens. That doesn't mean the season's over unless some kind of Wyoming situation happens and God forbid, fingers crossed, let's knock on some wood right now. That will not happen on Saturday. As long as that doesn't take place, it's a okay. Come out of there with a W and that's all I'm really asking for covering the spread, anything like that. I'm not too worried about it. Just just come out with a W. That's all that matters in a game like this. Nate, I hate these games. I hate them so much because it's the worst kind of game. If you're playing against Simo, I get it. You're going to that's a blood donor game, right? You're going to win that game, mm-hmm. 50 to 12. You can name the score. Whatever you want it to be, you'll win it by that. Games like Central Michigan make me nervous because there's no upside. If you beat them by 30, cool. That's what you were supposed to do. If you beat them by six, everybody's going to think the world is coming to an end. And if you lose, my God, if you lose, nothing good comes out of something like that. So I hate these games. And I think there's every reason to believe that there's at least some anxiety that'll take place on Saturday. That being said, I fully anticipate that they'll find a way to get a W and that's all that matters in the end. You know, the, the central Michigan offense was, was very, very conservative last year because they had to play a, a freshman quarterback and their running backs were really, really good. So it was their offensive line. Now they return almost everybody on their offensive line. They lose one of their running backs from last year, but it, you know, whatever they, their more explosive back does return. So, they relied on it on explosive gains on the ground to really gain the yards. And that dude is back. Um, they also returned Khalil Pimpleton, who was a former Virginia tech receiver. He is, he was like their only receiving threat, but man, even, even with being the only guy and he's only like five ten, one seventy, he is just dynamic. He is lightning in a bottle. And if he gets the ball, he is making some fools miss like a lot. So they don't have a lot of proven weapons, but the ones they have are effective and they rely on big plays. Um, 
And it's something that Missouri was susceptible to last year, the big play, both on the ground and through the air. So they have the guys who can take advantage of last year's mistakes. Are last year's mistakes this year's mistakes? I don't know. And along those lines, last year's uh, Central Michigan defense is all havoc, all attack. Like, they, they, they will blitz every somebody every play. And they don't always hit, right? Like, I think they were, you know, I think they're, like, terrible. They're absolutely terrible in any kind of downs as far as stopping somebody. But if they connected, it, they connected and they knocked you off schedule. Um, they, they couldn't stop passing downs, but they can knock you off schedule from standard down. So they, they really thrive in shutting you down in first and second down. And again, that's the sort of game where you're going, Ooh, what's going on? What's happening here? Um, now the, the good news is that last year, central Michigan was terrible at stopping big pass plays, something that zoo couldn't do last year that we are assuming they can do this year. So let's see the deep ball passing game. <laughs> Dominic love it. Let him run free. Uh, send Kiki on a nine round, send Dominic on a nine round. Um, and let's, you know, let, let's see what Bayslack can do with all this deep ball yeah. uh, practice that he got over the year. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, those are not super reliable plays. So I do think there's going to be a lot of fits and starts, some good drives, some terrible drives, some three and outs, some, some missed opportunities. I think we get into the third quarter and it's like, they're only central Michigan's only down six or, you know, maybe down 10. Um, but I do think Mizzou wins in the end. I do. I just think that uh, it's going to be uncomfortable for like 48 minutes. That's all. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to bring up on this game, just as kind of a wrench that's been thrown into everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jim McElwain has appendicitis and is apparently undergoing surgery for it. So first of all, mm-hmm. thoughts are with him. Hopefully everything goes well. Mm-hmm. That sucks. I mean, it from everything that I've heard, it is a brutal situation to go through. That being said, I mean, that he's a legitimate. I know everybody gets their jokes off about Jim McElwain and how everything went at, at Florida. He's a good coach. And at a place like Central Michigan, he's a great coach. He's perfect for a spot like that. Not having him on the sidelines is a legit setback for Central Michigan. So I do think that is something to take into consideration as well. I don't know how much, because at this point, I would imagine a vast majority of the game planning has already been done. But... There are decisions that are made on game day that if Jim McElwain is unable to be on the sidelines and it it feels difficult for that to take place, but who knows, uh, as of recording this, it it sounds like it's not expected that he's going to be there. But again, we just don't know right now. If he's not there, that is going to change some of what they're able to do or what they would typically do on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, Tim Skipper is their interim coach while Jim is uh, recovering from surgery. Um, He... Let's see, I think he was the DC at UNLV for a little bit before he came there. Um, but but Tim met with uh, media today, and he said basically exactly what you said. Game planning is already done. Uh, McElwain has prepped everybody before this even happened. I'm like, here's what happens if I can't be here, right? And so like they're all they all feel fine about it. Um, you know, Mac doesn't call offensive plays or defensive plays. He just makes the big decisions, like you said. But obviously, Tim Skipper's got experience with that too they are anticipating him being there which i thought was really really odd he said we are we are expecting jim to be there we'll see Uh, we are planning that he is going to be there but they are ready if he is not so um yeah we'll see obviously it sucks to have your you know your your general kind of out for uh for the battle that you're going into but um it sounds like they're prepared and they expect him to be back i know i've known a few people with appendicitis in college 
buddy, they were out. Like these are 20 year old kids who were out for days, <laughs> like could not get out of bed out for days. If a 50 plus year old man is going to get surgery, turn around, get on a plane and then coach a football game. I power to you, man. Like that. I don't know how you do that. That sucks. But, um, if he's expecting to do that and he's got his mind to it, I expect him to be there, but that, yeah, that's a, it's kind of a crappy situation, but, um, it'll be really interesting to see how it works itself. Yeah. out. It, like I said, all, all thoughts are with him and hopefully everything goes well. Not expect him to be at the game on Saturday, but if he is, God bless him, a more power to him. Yeah. Well, we will see. Like, like I said, we're like, and you know, you're listening to this on Thursday. We got Friday and then it's game day. So, um, we are, we are, ever closer uh, to, to the promised land of, of seeing this team actually take the field. Um, Drinkwitz has, has won the off season by all metrics you can possibly think of uh, A's across the board. Now this is, this is the key moment. You've got all that goodwill. You've got all that momentum off the field. Now you got to start winning games on the field to solidify those gains on the off season you solidify those recruitments that you've got, keep them on board, bring some new ones in, make a name for yourself. And hey, upset a few teams and uh, make some waves in the SEC East, man. Like this is, this is what you're working towards. I'm not saying losing any particular game is going to undo all of that, but it is in your best interest to win games if you want to continue to recruit at a high level. So, um, like I said, you can't win them all unless you win the first one. Central Michigan's the first one. It's going to be tough. I do think they come out with a win. I do think it's going to be uncomfortable. But hey uncomfortable winning is kind of what Missouri is supposed to do, right? Absolutely. And you can't go six and zero to start the season without starting out one and zero, as you said, and that is what my expectation is. I know you're right there with me, with me, Nate, central mm-hmm. Michigan, Kentucky, CMO, BC, Tennessee, North Texas, six and zero. it's got it written all over it. My man can't wait. Can't wait. One and zero mentality, BK. We 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 can only play the team That's in front right. of us, and the team in front of us is Central Michigan. Yeah, you go six so. and zero, then you get the win against Vandy. That's seven wins. You get the win against South Carolina. That's eight. They're starting a coach at quarterback. That seems bad. And then you've got Arkansas <laughs> to finish out the year. You got a nine and three schedule without having to be any top twenty five opponents currently. That's gonna be great, man. Can't wait. Just incredible. What Absolutely a year! Incredible. It all starts on Saturday. It does. It all starts on Saturday. And you know what? Starting, well, this week, except not for you, uh, we are now in the two-week two show world. Now, obviously, BK is going to be off being a bachelor in Memphis <laughs> uh, for this week. But uh, we are going to provide two shows a week. You're going to get us on uh, Thursday morning uh, in your ears, and then we will either record Saturday night or Sunday morning uh, with a game recap. So going forward, you can expect us twice a week. Uh, I believe Sam and Matt are going to take a little bit of a hiatus while football gets ramped up. So they will be back shortly, uh, especially as basketball season starts uh, uh, getting getting started soon. Uh, gosh, it's only a couple months away. So um, get used to us. We'll be around two shows a week, BK. I know you don't have to do it this weekend, but are you ready, my friend? I am so ready, dude. I can't wait. I am super excited. It's going to be great. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun, dude. 2021 Mizzou football season. The road to 6-0 and starts right now. Absolutely. And that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you guys. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. You can listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN from 10 to 3. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, am
Z-O-U.